Big guest here today on the Crypto Natives podcast, um, somebody that I've been following for quite some time and is also a leader in one of my favorite aspects and um, we could say growing industries within the the NFT space, which is the NFT archaeological movement. I'm here with Adam McBride, who is the host of the Adam McBride podcast and um, the NFT archaeological, I guess we call him pioneer. He's got his own little group and um, everybody's kind of formed around him and offering all of the quote unquote alpha. And he's also a recent author of NFT Ape, which is probably the best name you could have had unless you put GM right in the beginning and said GM <laughs> NFT Ape. <laughs> so uh, Adam, thanks for, thanks for coming on, hanging out. Uh, appreciate it, man. I think what you said there is um, small is what we are right now. It's just up at the uh, NFT NYC, you know, convention. And when people are like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm an NFT archaeologist. They look first. They looked at me funny. Then they then like most of them had no idea that NFTs were even on like Bitcoin or any any of these early chains. And uh, and I just reckon I realized, oh, my God, not only are NFTs early, but this little sliver of the NFT community is beyond early. There may only be 2,000 of us in the world who believe in this space right now. It's it's absolutely insane to me because I was also at NFT NYC. I think there was only, was it Pixel Map or Pixerium? It was one of them that had um, the stage for, what, 10 minutes or something like that? Yeah, Ken from Pixel Map. Uh, Pixel Map was, of course, one that I rediscovered, but Ken's a great dude. And uh, yeah, he had the stage briefly. Uh, trust me, I tried to get in as a speaker. They were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they had 8 million speakers. They had zero, uh, what I would call NFT archaeology speakers, zero. Yeah. And um, so we'll see next year. I think next year we'll have our own little space. I think so too. And then maybe even our own little conference. Something I realized at NFT NYC um, was that the marketers are kind of taking over the, the oh, yeah, space yeah. at it's this like, time. It, it's the people who've all moved from uh, whatever, Instagram, who were whatever. They were stock traders or commodities trader, or whatever they were trading before or something have now kind of moved into like, ooh, NFTs, the new space. And they've moved into NFTs, which is fine, but they're basically doing the same thing again. And it's just like, you know, yeah, it's it's the 3 a.m., uh, you know, TV show, learn to buy real estate, no money down type <laughs> stuff, which I'm not really, you know, that's not my bag. Yeah, well, I guess you could say that the 2000 of us are front running history, which is as weird as it sounds. It's so, so per it's so it's uh, such a, a crypto thing to say. Like, like I tell people, look, man, there's a, a very real possibility I'm wrong. And what I'm talking about, my thesis for the future is wrong. And all these old NFTs that I'm buying and holding are basically worthless. Like that is a possibility. And I tell people that, you know, before they buy anything, understand that that's a possibility. But there's also a possibility that we are holding something that in a decade or two is held in high esteem because we're at the start of what I believe to be a revolution right now. And so um, that's exciting. I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, so this leads into the book that you just wrote. And um, yeah, just just for a disclaimer, I opened it. I got through the first four pages or four chapters per se. Yep. And the first chapter is literally Mooncats, which is on my shirt and something that I'm heavily involved in. And I think that story is that rediscovery story is very similar to, to the Bitcoin story itself. But the book also ties into your past history. And from what I got up to, you created your own blockchain at, at some point in your time just for experimental purposes per se. Um, let's dive in to see um, who Adam McBride is and then the inspiration behind the book. Sure. Um, who I am, <laughs> it's changed and moved over time, right? Um, I guess, you know, what I've learned is that I built up a, a, a certain kind of grouping of skills that just all kind of magically came together in March when that Mooncat thing happened. When the Mooncat rediscovery happened, happened. It was like everything that I've worked for my entire life and worked at my entire life magically came together. I don't know how to explain it other than that. You know, people will say, oh, success is like this mix of you, you kind of just have to be ready for it. And that's really what I, I cannot only say that that's true because I, I've done a whole bunch of different stuff. I've had businesses. We've had my wife and I have had successful businesses. We've sold businesses, been successful. And, but all the things I was working for this kind of like, I've been doing podcasting for years. I've been doing YouTube's live shows. I've been writing all these kind of things. 
um, came together when that Mooncat rediscovery happened, where I actually now have a career as this NFT archaeologist because I completely love what I do and communicating with people with all these different skills, just like it just all worked for me in that moment. And Mooncats for me was like that, the match that lit the fire. Um, this idea that there are these things of value uh, sitting there just waiting to be rediscovered was so enticing to me that, um, yeah, I've dedicated the last eight, eight months of my life, you know, 12 to 15 hours, 18 hours a day, sometimes just diving in and trying to find more. Yeah. And you seem to you and, and the community that's formed around you seemingly are uncovering so many projects. It seems like weekly. Um, I've been, I talked about this a few weeks ago that I thought we were at the end of being able to rediscover something on a blockchain, right? There has to be an end at some point, but as the project's yeah. now, it's literally unlimited because we're going into the future. Um, and for the context of the Mooncat rediscovery, um, from the analytics, it says there was almost 7,000 people who were trying to get in and claim those 20,000 <laughs> cats that were existing. And I had a similar uh, story to you where my first business four years ago was an antique store. And so I sat around, um, I first uncovered or figured out what NFTs were for Hashmas, which was in January, but nothing right. really spoke to me. But then when the Mooncat rediscovery happened, at the time it was the second oldest NFT, which now is just hilarious because now it's probably the 22nd sure. oldest yeah, yeah, NFT. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it kind of like really sparked this NFT archeological movement um, to go through the, the uncovering of the blockchain. And so um, my, my question is then like, are you the one that is searching through the transaction history to uncover some of these projects? Is it the community? What is kind of that process to, to sure. figure these uh, projects out? So definitely at the beginning it was me, me and a, a friend who I met on Twitter, um, literally just us two working together. And we were just, at that time we were re researching basically using Google, Reddit, just search tools, right? Searching that way. Uh, it moved from that. Basically, I think as a community, we've kind of churned through all of those. Um, and like I think I've told before on podcasts and shows and stuff, like we found so many back then that just didn't fit this like Mooncat model. So, you know, being that Mooncat and then Cura cards the day later were rediscovered and they kind of had working websites, even though you couldn't purchase the or get the NFTs through the website, you could see the NFTs, right? You could understand it very easily. You just had to interact then with the contract. So we were looking for like that model specifically. And we passed on so many in from then until like June, just because they didn't meet that model, right? I, I passed on Ether Lambos, I passed on Ether Rocks, I passed on, you know, all these ones that have since blown up, we passed on because they didn't meet, like they didn't check all these boxes, right? Um, so it's moved from that to kind of anything that has like interest being kind of rediscovered. And I put like Ether Lambos in that, that category, right? To now, what I deal with now mostly are I'm, I'm actually even being approached, but I, either I find them or, and then reach out to them, or I'm approached by the developers themselves who basically have the project, but recognize that without kind of awareness, it's dead in the water. And there are plenty of them that have, you might've seen where they put out tweets, Hey, we're here. And nobody cares because they haven't told the story. They, they couldn't tell the story of what they were about in 2017 or 2018 and they still can't tell the story. So they reach out to me to try and kind of tell this story and why their project was important, right? And so not only that now, but I also work with developers to try and figure out a lot of times their contract isn't gonna work in today's market. So was it unlimited? Um, was the pricing all messed up? You know, we had that trouble with with Ken and Pixelmap um, where we were seriously concerned because he was asking, you know, two ETH, that was the price that was hard coded in the contract in 2016. I was very worried that we weren't going to get people to buy into it because it was so expensive. Uh, right. $8,000 per pixel and there are 4,000 of them. Ooh, that was, that was going to be a rough sell. So we created this buy sell mechanism where he was basically buying them from himself and then relisting them. And we had a very successful launch by doing that. So they're the kind of these, these things that, like I said before, it's kind of like 
all my experience in the past from business and running businesses and marketing and all this sort of stuff have come together now. And it's like, this, I have this skill set which I can bring to, you know, developers or, or people who had projects in the past and help them relaunch them. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing now, which was different than before where it was just kind of uncovering these things. Now it's because those have all almost all been churned through and have been found. Now it's like, kind of fixing these projects and then telling the stories behind them. Now that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. You, you have filled the role masterfully. I was telling uh, one of my friends that I was, that I was interviewing you and that in this, in this new age, this digital digital age with, with crypto, nobody's turning to traditional media companies to tell their story. We're all turning to, to the, we're turning to podcasters or community yeah. members and, and now going through Twitter spaces and some of the Bro, other mechanisms. Let me just cut you because I have one story within that. You'll see it in the book. It's the bad story. It's like the one negative experience I've had in the NFT space. And I, I did all this work for these people. I spent like three weeks going to relaunch this project for them. And we had agreed upon a compensation package for me to do this. And, um, and literally the day before I'll ruin the book for you from that bad chapter, but literally the day before they called me up and we're like, Hey, you know, we want to renegotiate and I'm reasonable, dude, whatever. Let's, let's, let's talk, figure it out. But they were basically like, we're going to give you zero and we've never paid a marketing company this much money and we don't need you. We'll just hire a marketing company. And I was like, wow, you actually, I mean, I found them. I told them about the NFT space. I basically woke them up to the fact that they maybe had something of value. But I said to like, look, without bringing it to light in a way that the community will accept, you're dead in the water. And they're like, we don't think so. And I'm like, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm telling you right now, you're passing up a huge payday with the way you want to approach this and cutting me out. You're just being assholes, right? Um, and they were like, we don't care. We're not paying you that much. We'll just hire a marketing company. And I was like, good luck with that, brother. Um, and they literally, literally lost like a $2.5 million payday. Uh, that next day, I'm, I'm confident. I had people who were psyched about it. The next day, um, they launched with a marketing company. And I still think they haven't maybe sold 10 of their stupid NFTs. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you can lead a horse to water, man. And you could try and ha- I mean, I try to help people. And I've made people, you know, very, very wealthy over the course of, uh, you know, bringing their projects back to life. And I'm super grateful that I've had the opportunity to do that. Um, But that was a bad experience with people who didn't understand marketing and what the market was in in 2018 and definitely didn't get it today. And uh, it was sad. It's super disappointing for me. Uh, Probably sadder for them. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's, there's two points to that. First is that the traditional methods in the crypto world don't work. And yeah. even if you're somebody of status and try to enter the NFT space, you get shunned off immediately, right? Like a lot of yeah. people have been um, shunning off uh, Jordan Belfort, not talking badly about him, but and all these other ones who buy crypto punks and then all of a sudden drop a project a week later, everyone sees right through it. Well, look, dude, we're in a, a space full of freaking smart people. Like, it is crazy. I don't know if you noticed it when you were at NFT NYC. Like, sure, there are a lot of kids who just made money, you know, flipping, you know, JPEGs, right? But there are a whole bunch of like, I mean, dude, I met like 10, like people I would consider geniuses, you know, at NFT NYC. You know, it's just, there are so many smart people in the space. You know, obviously we're, we're dealing with developers all day long and people who've built projects and stuff. And people just see through it, man. They just see through the phony. It just doesn't work uh, in the space. I mean, it can, you know, not to say some stuff doesn't get through, it does. But overall, um, this is just about as sharp a community as you're going to find. Absolutely. Yeah, you have um, a, the majority of the community who's lived by a computer. So they're they're not swayed by um, persona, per se, because yeah. um, in a pseudonymous economy, it's all just text, which is rid, ridden of emotions. And so this is kind That's of... Yeah, and and kind of what you were speaking on, what you're doing is something similar. I'm doing out in Vegas, where I'm building a, an NFT incubator um, through Native, which is which is my company, and we're trying to bridge, you know, the the superficial world to the digital world, and that's kind of what you're doing because there's definitely um, a discontinuation between the both, and so so. On both sides, people don't understand how to enter or where where to go, how to um, how to connect the creativity with the developers, and um, even yeah. with the newer projects now, right? When you or the, the the project, the newer projects that you're discovering, which are the older ones, a lot of those predate 
ERC721. So then oh, yeah. you have to connect them to a wrapper, which the original oh, yeah. developers probably aren't aware of how to do and then to exactly. market it to a community. Yeah, you get it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. All these things. I mean, it's it's um, there's just a lot of pieces that need to be put in place and need to work effectively to relaunch a project successfully. It's just it's it can be challenge. It's definitely challenging. I love that challenge, right? It's fun for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, connecting this and connecting people to it. It's still we're so early. You see it, I'm sure you're I mean, I'm literally on my phone onboarding friends. I've actually now just, I, I was like, I was doing it one offs at a time. And now I'm like, I've got a whole like Google doc with literally the step-by-step -step to onboard somebody on the crypto, you know, because it's like, how well, you know, we're, that's, we're that early. And I do believe like the space as a whole needs to build to make that easier. Like it's gotta be one button easy to get people into crypto. Um, and we're, we're probably miles away from that, years away from that, but that's where it's gotta get, right? It, it can't be, Everybody has to get a hardware wallet. Everybody has to get a MetaMask. Everybody, you know, it's just, it'll never gain widespread adoption that way. It has to be simple. And that's why I'm not averse to like Coinbase, you know, onboarding people. Like the Coinbase could maybe onboard 70 million people into the NFT space. Like I'm all for it. Like, let's go. Yeah. They just came out yesterday and said that they believe their NFT um, section of their business is going to be larger than the crypto section of it, which um, I think speaks massive volumes. For sure. Well, I mean, like, let's see though. I mean, uh, like, they're they got a, they're a great company. They're they've got a great team, but whether or not they can pull it off is still very much in question, right? It's hard to build a marketplace website that people connect with, right? It's really hard. Yeah. Um. So people are like, "Oh, OpenSea's dead." I'm like, "Not just yet. You know, it could happen." But it's also possible that, that Coinbase falls flat on their face. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we should collab on a, a vintage NFT marketplace of some sort, unless somebody's no. probably already working on it, <laughs> 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 which, you know, is, is probably a possibility. Um, but I, I do want to dive into the um, how to evaluate some of these historic projects, because they're, they're, there's so much context to everything, right? Are they actually first, right? Mooncats were second. Now they're yeah. like 22nd, um, <laughs> right? And it's like, what chain now, right? We have Ethereum, there's Bitcoin, there's Namecoin. I, I just read about another one the other day, like Huntercoin or something like that, which is, <laughs> is which is a fungible token for a game. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think is most important in terms of creating the most value for a historic project? Is it being first to something? Is it the chain that they're on? Is it having an existing community? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think the most important thing is um, emotional connection to their collectors. Uh, that's the most important thing. And you look at crypto, I just take like CryptoPunks is the easy one to, for everybody to understand because they all, everybody knows what CryptoPunks is. I know people who've sold CryptoPunks recently for, you know, $1.52 million, right? They were, it was like cutting off an arm for them. The money was life-changing, but for them to not have that as their avatar anymore was super painful for them. Uh, that's the kind of connection that NFT projects dream of having. And it's really hard to do, really, really hard. Um, so first and foremost, though, if you can find a community or if you feel like you're finding a project where the developer and the people involved in the community are going to feel anywhere near that, that's the most valuable. Um, it doesn't matter the age, honestly. It really doesn't. Um, but then you get the other factors that start to come in. And those, it's, it's complicated, right? Uh, age is definitely a factor, 100%. Age is definitely a factor. Uh, did they do anything new or unique? That is a big deal. And I think Mooncat ticks a lot of those boxes. Um, I also think, like for example, Mooncat's, um, just their place in history as kind of this rediscovery, which was so important for myself and a whole bunch of other people, you know, places it at a different level. And, you know, then you just start getting into all these details. Well, I mean, and, and the details are endless, right? Is it the first <laughs> on-chain generative, you know, all, and then you just start going down rabbit holes, right? Um, and and all of that stuff is fun and, and there's no right answers. It's all kind of just this this mix of things which are important but none of them is is anything other than another point for a collector to kind of focus on why they connect or love that project or believe in that project right and um so for me like mooncats will always hold a special place 
for me uh, because that was like, as I said, the best day of the pandemic for me, you know, me and my kid um, mining moon cats, right? Um, so they'll always hold a special place and I'll always hold moon cats, right? Um, and I think that's at the end of the day, that's what kind of every project hopes for is that kind of emotional connection with their collectors. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did a I posted a Twitter thread a few weeks ago about historic projects. And I said that on, on the, on Ethereum punks are probably like the, the cultural project. And then on Bitcoin, it's rare Pepe's I think have kind of mm -hmm. taken that crown. And then if you move in either direction chronologically, um, you become farther out on the historic risk curve per, per se, sure. if, that, if that sounds right. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because once you go to, to, to things like name coin, you're getting into a very unique set of owners. And I try, yeah. I try to compare this to, um, the traditional world where, at places like Christie's and Sotheby's, they sell um, things like like dinosaur bones and napkins sure. of Thomas Jefferson and those like a very small subset. But then once they start selling cultural, historical icons like Van Gogh's and Besquas and things like that, then you get the whole horde just coming in to try to buy everything. And so yeah, right it's, it's a very like distinct collector's which is very different from the newer projects with, with minting and hopping on. It's, you, there's not nearly as much liquidity in historical projects, but the returns can be like astronomical. Yep. I think it's, uh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it's a lot like, um, well, it's kind of like the high-end art market. And I've talked to enough like high-end artists who were kind of pushing NFTs on, on Bitcoin early and stuff. And I've asked them about this kind of idea of collectors and, and this sort of thing. And um, I think it was Sarah Mahoyas who, who was like, she did a uh, Bitcoin back on Bitcoin back <laughs> in the day. And she said to me, which was like a, it was like fractionalization of art, right? So it's important historically, like she was one of the first to do this sort of thing. And I was asking her, cause she was a traditional artist first, right? How did you, what was your, what's her view on collectors? And she was like, look, all you need are like six right? In the traditional art world to like maintain a living, you need like six collectors, right? And so there are these, and then anything above and beyond that is like gravy, right? And so in a lot of ways, these historical NFTs are kind of like that. Like you need to get a certain, I don't know what the number is exactly. I guess it depends on the size of the project, but you need to get a certain number of people to kind of believe in it, right? And then if you get a wider group, like maybe Pepe's has this wider group where it actually can like pierce the, the cultural collective. Uh, then you have these opportunities for moonshots, right? Because then your, your collector base is just, you know, a hundred X, a thousand X, a million X bigger than these small ones. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it's this continuum or this spectrum of, of where these things lie on that, that value curve or whatever you want to call that. Um, like people ask me, well, what, what about Pepe's? And I'm like, I love Pepe's. Of course. I, I, I see Pepe's literally every single day as memes on my Twitter feed, right? Pepe's are important, but within Pepe's, like there are cards with a million issuances. Do I think those are going to hold value? Like probably not. Right. So it, there's all this kind of, um, complexity within, uh, collections that just make it, just this rabbit hole of awesomeness for, from a collector's standpoint, like you could, I mean, and you see it too. There are people literally 12 hours a day, just trying to figure this stuff out and, and kind of find value and find value before everybody else recognizes what the value is. Um, so yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah. And these, these new projects get introduced every day. I have to, I have to mention this, that the, the, I think it was two or three days ago, there was like a Bitcoin umbrella that I put a bid on. Um, yeah. And then I went to the gym and I was like, okay, if if uh, nobody has bought it, then I'm gonna buy it when I go back to the gym. I come back and you were the one that bought it. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, these guys are these guys are quick, man. I should I should have bought it. And now now it's gone up like two weeks since then, which I thought was <laughs> was kind of funny. But everyone out there is 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 fast on it. Yeah, it's funny, you know. Um, there is no and and who knows if that thing holds any value at all. Right. Um, that's one of those, this is like the early, um, counterparty stuff, right? So people who don't know counterparty is like an L2 solution on top of Bitcoin. So as people were trying to put what we now call NFTs, call it digital art, call it whatever you want to call it. They were trying to place this stuff on Bitcoin back in the day. 
And these guys got together and built this thing called Counterparty, which allowed basically to, to layer uh, NFTs on top of Bitcoin. And so there's this been this run. There are literally thousands of these things. Uh, it was super easy to build them. So, I mean, it's building. It's like literally you just claim it. And so the first one called Test came out, I don't know, a few weeks ago, meaning came out, meaning the owner of it who had all, the entire supply started to put them for sale. Um, and so people started buying those. And a whole bunch now have come out as well. Umbrella happened to be one that people aped in on. And they aped in on because of the story. Uh, it, I don't think time-wise it had any significant, um, it wasn't super early, but it had this story of, and the guy you know did like a Reddit post on it where if you bought one of the umbrella um, NFTs, you could trade it in for a physical umbrella, right? And so it was tying this digital to the physical that people liked that story. Was it, was it the, and they're claiming it's the first. Was it the first to do that? I'm hesitant to say yes, because I think there were some earlier, but I haven't dug in enough to, to know for sure. Um, but still, Ape, Ape Adam here bought a couple um, in advance just because, you know, I know the way this works, man. And if you don't buy a couple, uh, regret is coming soon. <laughs> oh, it, it, <laughs> you know it, what I mean? It I know regret and, and I didn't want to regret it. So I bought a couple. Yeah, man, I, I'm still regretting the uh, the ninja suit. It was like two ETH when I was looking at it, and throwing bids on it, and um, now it's at like ten ETH, which is um, we'll, we'll get in we'll get into that. But sure. um, in t in terms of like some of these people on Counterparty that have created assets from 2014 and to 2018 or whenever mm -hmm. it was, most of the, like you like you mentioned, most of the creators own the entire supply. And Correct. so when you uncover these owners, is there a negotiation on a burning mechanism to it or how they distribute, or do they just dump on the, dump the entire supply out into the abyss and see what happens? Sure. Well, it, it's interesting. Some devs, uh, can do this by themselves and, and are, are quite good at it. Uh, and I give whoever, you know, the, the dev is behind umbrella. I think he was in the discord the other day, actually, but I give him credit for the way he did relaunch umbrella was actually really, really smart um, by creating kind of this kind of telling about it first, giving the, and I, I mean, I think he had other people do it or whatever for him, you know, but, but basically people brought this story to the discord, to my discord and like, Hey, this is something uh, I think it's interesting from this perspective, which was the story where you could trade it in for a physical item, right? This connection of, what I talked about earlier, is this the first or did this do something new or interesting in any way, right? So this story, they were able to create this story and then the the dev who owned all this, the whole supply did this really, really nice burning of them to create this kind of value where people felt like, geez, if I don't get in uh, and this burn actually goes down where there's only gonna be 300 of these things, I'm gonna miss out. And uh, they did a great job. They got me to ape, uh, you know, where I, I spent, I don't even know, probably an ETH on two of them, you know, and, uh, you know, they did a good job. It, it's honestly what, what I would have recommended. And if I was running the relaunch of it, it's what I would have done. Uh, so they did a really nice job. Most devs don't have that, that kind of skill set, but they did. They did, did a nice job with it. Yeah, it, it, it really takes a team now. Have you seen any manip manipulative practices when it comes to historic projects? Uh, maybe somebody who had created something, but then never put an image over it, or somebody claiming it to be an NFT and actually isn't in some sort of constructive contract creation? Sure. I mean, it, it's it's complicated, right? And, and so, like, I know that happened with... Uh, umbrella where people were like, well, that image was only placed on at this point in time and stuff. Um, I give, I give leeway, uh, for that from my, and I, there are, trust me, there are p other people who don't give leeway, right? They'll say it's not even an NFT or it's not even this or that. And I, you know, we could argue and have argued for days and hours on these sort of subjects. And so I tend to, I tend to hold a softer view on developers and give them the benefits of the doubt, um, depending on what their first, um, you know, what was the intention of the project? And the intention was pretty clear, you know, when he made that Reddit post back in whatever, 2014, right? He laid down what he was doing. And I said, so I think it's pretty clear. The image was added later and he's been very transparent. I, I recommend to every dev I work with, man, number one, you have to be transparent. You have to, you have to let people know what you're doing, why you're doing it. 
And if you just do that, man, people will get behind you. Um, and so people understood what he was doing. He was, he actually did contract an artist to, you know, make that design, you know, a year or whatever after he launched, uh, the token and stuff, you know, that's totally acceptable, uh, for me. It isn't for some, um, but, but that sort of thing happens. I I mean, uh, it's complicated uh, is the only way I'd say it. Have developers used kind of sway to get their stuff sold? Of course. Like, I, I look at it as, look, this is, at the end of the day, they're selling something, right? They're selling a project. They're selling an idea. Everyone's selling something, you know? Even if you, you know, you bought those umbrellas the other day and you're talking about Twitter, you know, you're on Twitter or whatever, talking about your umbrella you you bought. The reality is even if you weren't selling in that moment, you'd probably be selling 10 years down the road or however long you hold it you're going to want other people to be interested and talk about it. So I'm, I'm not averse to people, you know, what they call pumping your own bags, because at the end of the day, we're all pumping our own bags. I think it's, it's time for us as almost a society to move past this idea of how it, somehow being magically neutral on stuff, like, forget it. I mean, that kind of thing, like the old model with like um, stocks or whatever, where, Oh, you can't talk they were just lying back then. I mean, let's be clear. Like when, when somebody would come on CNBC and it's whatever, Tim Cook from Apple talking about Apple, you don't think he's pumping the stock? Of course he is. You know, even talking about the new features coming out on the iPhone, he's pumping the stock. Let's get, be, let's get past that. Take it for what it is. Be transparent about it and move forward. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of that mindset. I'm ready to create a new paradigm where I, I just, by nature, I believe everybody, everything I read on, on any platform, I believe somebody's pumping their bags and I'm fine with it. As long as we're transparent and we know what's happening, let's go. Yeah. I'm, I'm under this same belief. We are in this new paradigm and I've been discussing this idea on the podcast and on Twitter sometimes that we've kind of moved from this like fundamental investing perspective, which who knows if it was actually fundamental investing. Which is all bullshit. Yeah, that's beginning. what I'm saying. And it's kind Literally of- Literally bullshit from the beginning. Let's be clear. Yeah. yeah. And now we're it moving was. into this like open mimetic investing kind of environment where the, the fundamentals per se don't really matter. It's all about supply, who's backing it, the story, the narrative. What are people going to think? Is there a derivative of this? Yeah. I was going to ask like your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, take take the the most simple example for a normie who's who's listening to this and has no idea about NFT and crypto. The, a simple example is Tesla, Tesla Motors. Tesla Motors was built on a story and an idea. All of the money that fl- that that moved into Tesla stock was simply based on the belief in Elon Musk, his story and his idea. If that money was somehow pulled at some point in time, if the belief disappeared and people stopped believing in that, Tesla would have gone bankrupt and failed. Simple as that. It would have. At any number of points along that chain over the last two or three years or whatever, Tesla could have failed if people stopped believing in it. They still believe in it. They kept putting money into it. Elon was able to borrow money. And now Tesla's a world-class success, right? But that was all based on belief, right? If that had stopped at any point over that period of time and people had stopped believing in Tesla and Elon... Tesla would have failed. It would have gone bankrupt. And everybody would have said, not everybody, but a whole lot of people would have said, hey, Elon's a scamster. He scammed us all, right? That could have happened at any point along that timeline, right? And so this is this is kind of the new model. It's all about the story and the belief in the founders and the projects and whatever that we're buying into. This is, this is the kind of new model. And if you believe in something enough and enough people believe in it with you, um, you can make magic. Yeah. And and crypto takes it even one step further where in this new age where everyone is their own brand and everyone is able to commoditize um, their persona per se, you can't be a founder and be in the dark. And with crypto, they take that one further where you could be in the dark and be pseudonymous, but you still have to be active talking to your community. And so I've seen with some of these um, older NFT projects that that I had bought personally, where the founder decided to just not be a part of it, and they haven't taken yeah. off. Where some of the founders have come back and remained um, pseudonymous and communicate, and that's that's fine. But there has to be some communication between the creator or founder of a project to the community. Because even Satoshi Nakamoto started this, right? Pseudonymous, yeah. no one has any idea. But he was still 
effectively communicating for about two years before he um, inevitably disappeared. Yeah. Founders matter. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they just do. And, um, you know, whenever I'm kind of relaunching a project, me getting the feel of if the founders are going to be excited about carrying the project forward is a big deal. Um, and I basically won't go forward with, without somebody who's not fully in, like if they're just looking to get, sell it and get out, like I'm out, like, cause it's just not going to work because you have to have people like we just talked about buying in and believing in something long-term or it's just a pump and dump. Okay. Agreed. So founders, right? Founders who were pretty much just dev teams at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, is it important for the devs to actively develop on historic projects or do you think the utility is just the, the underlying historical value itself? For most of them, it's just the historical value. Uh, for most. There are other ones though, where the devs are real forward leaning. And for example, I was just looking at my feed this morning, Ether Waifu, which is one I was the first one I found and relaunched. Um, really great artist, cool dev. And man, they're like partnering with other, you know, NFT projects to use their characters in other NFT projects and metaverses and all this sort of stuff. Man, that's awesome. You know, so you, you still have the historic NFT that doesn't change. It doesn't move. But then it, it what they're trying to do is expand the awareness to other aspects of culture. And I think, you know, for me, that's super smart. It's hard to do. And I mean, basically, you look at these ones, people are just starting to do it. Um, but I think the ones who are smart about it and can actually make that bridge to other aspects of culture, they're going to win big time. Do you believe the introduction to innovation of a historical project could um, hinder the progress or dampen um, the historical value in any way? Uh, you mean creating new new things on top of it? Mm-hmm. On to- I do. I do. Um, the classic one for that one is uh, Etheria, who the dev was always like, I'm going to turn it into a metaverse and I'm going to do this and that. And I'm like, wow, that for me, that's not where the 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 utility lies. The utility lies in the historical value of it, uh, its place in history. Uh, and that would be, I mean, that's why a lot of people push back on what he was doing, wanting to move forward with, you know, something that the majority of the, of the community was not interested in, right? The majority of the community was interested in it as an historical piece, right? So I, I, I equate it like in antiques, like whatever, you find a Ming vase, right? You don't repaint the Ming vase, right? You might dust it off, but you don't repaint it, right? Uh, so, so in that way, whenever I'm talking to to historic project devs, I, I say, look, you can do stuff on top. You can layer stuff on top, but the asset itself, you really have to honor that uh, in the best way you know how. And I think a great great one with that is like Ken from Pixel Map, like the website and everything. Like he brought it up, new modern standards. You can look at it in your phone. It's awesome, right? But the feel and everything, the vibe is still 2016. Yeah, that's exact, exactly what we want to keep keep doing. Now we're moving into the this NFT world where there are new projects who are becoming a first at something like that of whatever they're, they're introducing. Do you believe that there are projects that, that are being created now that could be considered historical maybe five or 10 years from now? Probably. Have just have no idea what they are. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like that. Um, you know, like the board apes, I mean, are the most obvious example of of a brand that's been able to cut into culture by creating this this just ridiculous community of believers. Uh, it's so hard to do. I can't, you know, when I'm talking to my normie friends about it, I'm like, you don't, I mean, it's as hard as creating a billion dollar business. It's literally that difficult. Um, and I know it's easier to create a billion dollar business now than ever, but still it's really, really hard to get people to buy in, to diamond hand that stuff. Uh, I, I just look at it and go, wow, because there's no way I would have written board, board, my board ape, you know, to 60 or 70 ETH. That would have been impossible. Like if, if you bought it at 0.1 or whatever it was, 0.05, Dude, at 5 ETH, I would have been out. At 15 ETH, I would have been out. At 25 ETH, I would have been so out. It would have been ridiculous, right? Um, but there are people who've ridden it all the way to the top, and it's uh, I congratulate them, man. You, got, you can't do anything but tip your hat. Amazing. Uh, what they've the, the culture they've been able to build, exactly what I talked about earlier with um, 
with CryptoPunks where now there are people who are so tied to their board ape identity that, I mean, it would take, you literally couldn't, they won't sell it, period. You could offer them $5 million for it and they won't sell it. Um, and that's spectacular. It's incredible. I, yeah, I do believe that board apes are probably the 2021 winner. Um, and so oh, yeah. because of this, and I've mentioned this to a few friends too, uh, I've been diving into historical projects pretty much only because I will pay a premium in the future for whatever the historical value is for if they could all fight between the thousands of projects that are being minted. But then I start looking into some of the the new ideas that are being introduced into the NFT space. And uh, more importantly, and we were talking about this a little bit, Blau's like with music NFTs and that kind of idea. Um, yep. I think this is, this can be like one of the the new revolutions per se. Um, which song will win? I don't really know. What's what's the actual right. market cap of a song? Who, who knows? But yep. those kind of like innovative ideas by people who are like icons in the in the NFT space is something to really look out for. It's just you, you keep introducing new projects to me every day and I'm like, God, I don't know if you throw this. Well, I, I think like Blau and we talked about music NFTs. I, I truly believe music is like the next uh, thing that NFTs can tackle. And I've said it before. It's like, I, I think it's just going to take one artist to pierce through the NFT spectrum. And I, Blau may be it, or I don't know who it's going to be. But when they're able to tie the royalties and the ownership of the NFT, sell that to their fans, and then one of those goes, you know, super parabolic, and those fans all win huge, then it's, it, it's game over for traditional music industry. Because they'll see that, holy cow, Blau's song just became number one song on Billboard's Top 100. And all those people who bought it for $5 each, uh, it's now worth $5,000 each, right? That sort of thing uh, will happen at some point. And it, it will treat completely, I mean, my belief, it's going to completely transform the music industry. We've seen that trend already happen with with collectibles and with art, with CryptoPunks, that money trickled down to other projects. And then with art, it started with, I believe Xcopy was one of the first artists. Mm -hmm. And then that money kind of trickled down. So it seems like music is probably the same thing. And um, with Axis Infinity and with the, the gaming, that's also trickling down to, to different um, play to earn um, NFT models. Yeah. It's uh, the play to earn is interesting. I, I don't know how long it's going to last. I, I mean, maybe it lasts forever. Maybe this idea, you know, has infinite legs. I know gaming is beyond huge. Um, how it all plays out uh, is going to be super interesting. It's one of the areas that I'm excited about. I can't. I don't know anybody in the NFT space who isn't excited about it. That you'll be able to take your Fortnite skin and go use it in other games, or you know, this is going to happen. It's just a question of when. And in the same way as music, it's like well, which which. Um, studio, you know, which gaming studio, EA or, or, um, you know, Epic games, which is going to be the one to move into the space and kind of be the first winner. And I think it's going to take that first winner for the others to kind of come on board. I mean, you look at like what EA and, and them have said, I think it was steam was like, we're not going to do NFTs. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Like they're out completely. And um, I, th I think I get it from a regulatory standpoint. They were concerned about the regs and stuff. And this is what regulations do is they, they literally crush um, innovation. But trust me, there's going to be some small companies that get on board and, and do this. There already are, but that win, that become mainstream. And once they become mainstream, I just, it's, it's impossible for, for me to envision it not working on a larger scale. We have, we have seen an issue with traditional companies that have some sort of status entering the NFT space and um, facing some pushback or just not receiving the massive amount of attention. Um, one of them, for example, and I'm not throwing shade at anything because I was a participant, but we've seen some issues with some of the, the auction houses and um, receiving some of the prices and having issue onboarding some of the traditional uh, collectors to their to their own perspective communities. And um, yeah. it ends up just being crypto buyers buying their own bags yeah. per se, kind of like yeah. to, to save the, the the meltdown from from the PR perspective. <laughs> do, do, do you have any uh, opinions on the auction houses? Do you think they'll be able to, to, sure. to fix this model? Or do you think um, some, somebody else is going to come in and um, just take over? Yeah, I think at the end, they're, they're uh, surprisingly poor storytellers. 
um, which is interesting. I would have thought they would have been much better storytellers because the reality is, is what they're doing is they're telling those stories to their collectors. And if their collector, you know, I envision a, you know, 80 year old billionaire who shops at, at Christie's, right? If they can't tell the story to meet him where he is and make him understand, they failed. That's their job, right? And I think we've seen it. Um, most of the buyers at Christie's and Sotheby's have been crypto buyers, right? Um, I don't know what the last one was, uh, the Curio one that I was paying attention to, right? That was one of the founders of Ethereum bought that, right? Um, like, dude, where's the 80-year-old dude? Where's the billionaire coming in who doesn't know a thing about crypto buying, right? They haven't told the story. They haven't walked people through the idea that this is a brand new asset class and those guys need to be in, right? And so I think at the, at the end of the day, it's... Um, kind of exposing what we used to consider a gatekeeper um, for their lack of a, in this new space, they just don't have the skill set to do it, which is surprising. Uh, I was definitely surprised by the, the poor showing, especially at Sotheby's of, of the, you know, recent auctions. It's just, it didn't, they didn't create buzz basically it created buzz within the NFT community, right? Oh, we're cool. It's at Sotheby's, right? It created buzz in that way. And I think from a belief, what we talked about belief, this kind of layering of belief on society that, oh no, NFTs are real. NFTs are a thing that's important. And it was an important step for all of crypto and NFTs. But the reality is what they do, which is educate and get their collectors excited about stuff. Uh, I, I think they failed pretty miserably. Yeah, and unfortunately, that was the case, and I was one of the the bystanders of that. And I, I don't dismiss that the the buzz that was surrounded it um, helped my brand personally, so that I could come sure. on, you know, talk with you, and people can relate with me of the the story. I love that the price obviously didn't reflect it, and I was kind of saved by a community member from taking a massive loss, which was right. you know awesome, awesome to see. Um, so in that but end, I think for you, it probably was good for you, like you said clout and community within the crypto community, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that was good for you. Like that's how I, I probably found you for the first time, mm -hmm. right? So that's like, yeah, the, it, it does have value. Like I, I personally knew the, the guy who sold uh, his Curio collection through Christie's, right? And for him, like he had the opportunity to sell it earlier through me. I was basically brokering a deal um, and he held off. He wanted to sell it specifically through Christie's. And it, it wasn't about the money. He probably could have gotten near as much or more uh, selling it privately, but he wanted that that status and clout. You know, it's a big deal. Yeah, that those relationships, I do think at some point they'll probably fix it. Uh, the buyer's premium has been a big issue, um, paying 15% uh, or 20% on something that could potentially be a million dollars um, has, yeah. um, I think, been a big hindrance to, to the price. So di diving in a little bit deeper into like the, the relics or the high end NFTs of every collection, do we, do we need to separate them and have auction houses or glorify them? How, how do you think the future of the, the higher end um, NFTs of historic collections are sold? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I honestly believe that um, marketplaces as we know them are, are going away believe it or not. Uh, I think that the open seas or the Coinbase of the world, like we're so used to this model, but the reality is, is that somehow in the future, it's going to be a decentralized exchanges where these marketplaces don't necessarily exist. Open sea is itself change or morphs into something else. But the idea of you just go to open sea to find stuff, um, I believe is going to be gone and how that looks or what that entails, I'm not exactly sure, um, but I, I do know that people are building decentralized and already released them where you can buy and sell uh, stuff in a decentralized manner. And I think that's the way of the future. It just becomes the point then of discoverability. How do you find out about stuff? And that's where people like you and me and everybody else who, every, literally everybody in the community becomes the the informer or how you find out about stuff which is reality that's the way we we work now i mean who goes to open sea to browse nobody browses you go to look and find stuff you've been told about right and so how that moves in the future i think that's kind of like where it's going to go uh, that's my feel on it
I do feel that as well. So there's there's two um, things in the NFT space that need to be figured out first. How do we value these um, to put them on these exchanges, these centralized exchanges? I know, um, I believe it's Upshot that's trying to do like crowdsourced NFT valuations through whatever mechanism they have. And right. then um, the borrowing and lending sector, I think is gonna be hot once that can be solved. Because if I can take, if I could take a CryptoPunk that's worth 400000 and then borrow 300000 against it for leverage or to buy a house or whatever it is, that's just going to open up so much liquidity. And at NFT NYC, I think borrowing and lending and the merge of DeFi and NFTs was like probably the most common um, panels across them, the three days that they were speaking on. Yep. I, a lot of people, people way smarter than me, tell me this is happening. And it's not even... Like, oh, is it going to happen? It's like, no, this is happening. Uh, it's just a matter of when and how much money is thrown into it. Um, and it got it gets me excited. And I think it gets the whole community excited because what you understand is um, that, you know, I talk to people who are basically Wall Street type guys and they're like, if you remember when I think it was like Three Arrows Capital, whatever, came in and bought, you know, the floor of punks. And I don't know, they maybe bought 20 punks in five minutes, right? and everybody went crazy and they spent whatever, $20 million doing it. Okay. Imagine that, but it, you throw a zero on it. So it's not $20 million. It's $200 million, right? Or, or $2 billion. What happens to markets when that takes place? Um, and I think this is super exciting. Obviously, if you're a holder of NFTs, you're excited about that, but it still does create this issue of like, okay, well, which ones do I buy? Which ones do I position myself at now? If this money comes in later, where's, where's the smart money going to go? And that's complicated, man. And anybody who thinks, Oh no, just buy art blocks or just buy CryptoPunks, You might be surprised. So I don't know, you know, I don't have the answer and honestly your guess or anybody's guess is as good as mine. Yeah. That's something that I've been pondering as well. Um, as I spoke literally in the beginning, I thought we we're at the end of being, of uncovering all these historic projects. And I did believe that once we do get to the end um, the, the large capital allocation is going to um, be channeled into probably a handful of projects that everyone believes is going to have the largest return, which I think CryptoPunks has kind of like sealed that deal. Rare Pepe's right. is probably next. But I don't know. They, the markets are so random and chaotic. It could be Dude. Ether Lambos, ETH Map. Who knows? I, I just, um, you know, people are like, oh, punks, it'll never go down. I'm like, don't be so sure, man. And, and, and the other thing is like stuff happens. Uh, I can't remember what, it, what the name of the project was, but there was something where it turned out the founder in 1970 had put out like Nazi propaganda or some, some crazy stuff. Right. And I don't, I don't even remember what the project was called, but this happened just like two weeks ago and turned out that he did this and dude, the project lost like 99% of its value in like a day. Right. I'm not saying this ever happens with CryptoPunks, but dude, what happens if, I don't know, one of the founders is discovered to have, you know, he, he has somebody, you know, held up in his basement. He's, you know, kidnapped some, that stuff can happen, right? Stuff happens. And I'm not saying anybody who believes anything has nothing but rocket ship in front of it. You're insane. Like everything can go down. Everything can get crushed. Um, you know, you have to have your head on a swivel to think that any of this stuff is perfect. Just the same as stocks. Like it's the exact same as stocks, right? Apple seems invincible until it's not right. Um, so I don't know. I take all of that with a kind of grain of salt. Whatever I'm saying is just like, take everything with a grain of salt, do your best uh, research. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of just throwing darts. Uh, we're so early in this space. It, it's, there's no saying, right now what's going to work long term I, I just anybody who says that they they know right now uh i have to consider an insane person there's no way you could possibly know right now uh that's just my like traditional finance background coming in um but that doesn't mean you you don't lay bets right um and so i'm laying bets i'm sure you're laying bets on ones we think are going to be uh historically significant or culturally significant Right. And some of the bets are super small. I mean, you know, some of these projects, man, you can get in for a couple hundred bucks. Right. And so what's the downside? What's your upside on that? It can be awesome sometimes. And I think, you know, that's those are kind of the moonshots that I'm I'm pulling for. And NFTs are even more um, hyper personalized and personified than fungible tokens. I, I'm under the belief that 
the seller is just as important as the the project itself. Um, if Gary Vee is selling base, baseball cards, then those baseball cards are probably going to have a premium because they're coming through Gary Vee's hands. And on the yeah. blockchain, you could see it literally directly in the transaction history. So you don't have to communicate Dude, nobody's with Nobody's even, you just touched on something that I'm a huge believer in and nobody's really even building around yet, right? Like that I've sold, I don't know, like um, I bought one of those tests. I sold the test to Daryl Morey, you know, president of the 76ers, and he DM'd, hey, I think I just bought your test, right? For me, that's super cool. Like, it's cool knowing that mine went to somebody famous or that I bought, you know, a curio card from Gary V, right? Like, there's no way to kind of explore that and and uh, know the history of it now. When the history's all there, it's, it's clear. But there's no cool way to see that history yet. Um, that's one of the things I'm excited about because it, it is cool. Like, in the same way that, you know, if I bought a Basquiat, it's cool knowing that, you know, the famous person who owned it before I owned it, right? You know, it's cool that lineage. And that really hasn't been explored yet with NFTs, but it's coming. It is. It's the gamification of of, of communities. And this was this was the same idea of why I sold my Genesis Mooncat um, back in August to Pentoshi because uh, Pentoshi had like 250,000 followers at the time. Obviously, it was a, tr- a popular traditional Bitcoin trader. And so I was like, if I sell this to him, I'm actually, ta- I was sell- sold it a little less than I actually wanted. But I'm like, mm-hmm. now I'm putting the project in front of 250,000 people. And now he could be referenced whenever as the, the holder of this project. Right. And he's tweeting about it and talking about it and becoming more invested. And so there's so much yeah. more than just the, the monetary exposure. You have to have the culture exposure as well to, to grow these projects. Absolutely. Uh, people would say, Hey man, you're pumping your own bags. <laughs> but I mean, that's the, the reality is that's what you're doing, which there's, I don't, I literally see nothing wrong with that. What, what you're trying to do is you're gaining awareness. So the rest of your holdings, um, are maybe more valuable in the future. There's, there's literally for me, there's zero wrong with that. That's just smart. Um, and I've done lots of that, you know, on lots of different stuff where I've either gifted and people do it all the time. I'm sure with you too, they'll gift mm-hmm. you NFTs, you know, cause they want it. They just want it sitting in your wallet so they can say, Hey, look, my, my NFTs in McBride's wallet, right? They'll literally do that. Um, with the hope or the dream that you're going to say something about it. Right. But certainly other projects selling for less just to get it in the right collector's hands. Uh, I honestly advise artists to do that all the time in the NFT space, especially new artists. I'm like, don't try to sell your art. What you do is find the collectors who you want to collect your art and then basically give it to them for free because you want them to feel whole. You want them to feel like, wow, they got something of value way before um, anybody else maybe even knew about it. And then they're going to talk about you. They're going to, you know, so this is like a strategy that people do all the time in real life. Um, and it's just carrying over here into the, to the NFT space. And it, it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, we all use the words, you know, community and all this sort of stuff, but the reality is, is we've been doing this as people forever. Um, it's just kind of more transparent, I guess you'd say in the NFT space, but the reality is this is what we do as people. And we're, we're becoming much more familiar to the idea, right? Um, in the traditional world, what we're talking about, people would probably shame us and be like, oh, you're so bad at telling people your strategy and the things that are happening on the back end. But in a transparent world, I, I was a big believer and I've always been of just telling people the alpha or telling people what you're doing. Because in some of these, um, I guess, more complex projects, more specifically, I'll talk about like Mooncats. Um, yep. And it's this is the same with Rare Pepe's. And let me know if you see this with other projects as well. The the value is driven by the community and not the dev team or the project creators, right? A lot of these newer projects, and even with Punks, for, for example, it's a one through seven, one through eight traits, and then you can assort it from there. Yep. Whereas with Mooncats, all the values like in the metadata and with Pepe's, it's all about the leverage of Pepe onto art and onto crypto people and who owned it and all these other things. So if you don't tell people that rarity metric and the things that you're doing that's been successful, then no one else is going to understand it. And in the past, it's always been about keep your secrets, don't share, you know, don't open source your ideas and um, the strategy. But in this world, um, it's it's much more preferable to tell people what you're doing and the idea so that everybody can win. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I learned that kind of early. Um, even when we, we relaunched Ether Waifu, um, it was like, I don't know who I did. I, maybe it was the Curio one where uh, I can't remember who I, I read about Curio. Um, but he said in his like Medium article about like how to claim your Curio cards or whatever. At the bottom, he's like, um, he's like I, I claimed three because I'm not a dick, right? It was like, he could have gone and claimed all, right? But he claimed three, right? And he was letting all us all know that we could go claim as well, right? And that's something about that really struck me. And every one I've done since then, every kind of rediscovery, I've tried to follow that same model where I might grab a couple or a few, um, and but I'm transparent. I'd say how many I, I got um, because I, I think the community really values that transparency. I've seen the opposite of it, uh, and I can't say I like it. Uh, I've seen it. Basically, there were some guys who uh, realized what was going on with Namecoin and went and claimed all the NFTs that were on Namecoin, like the early ones. They just went, and they literally claimed 100% of them. Um, and then, so basically control or completely control the market. And have been able to sell a lot of them for big money because they've been able to kind of you know, convince people that, Hey, these are so historically significant, you know, let me charge you, you know, 15 ETH for a Twitter egg. Right. And, and they've been able to do that. And obviously they've gotten rich on it. I'm not saying, you know, Hey, but from a community perspective and from like the vibe of the NFT space, a lot of people are just like, man, these people are just dicks, you know? And uh, so it definitely, you know, these are all kind of anonymous people. So I guess it doesn't matter for them. For me, as like a real life person, uh, I think it would kill my brand, man. I think it'd be <laughs> dead in the water, you know? Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't. And for me, it doesn't like what I've been doing. That just works for me, you know, emotionally and ethically. It just feels a lot better. And you know yourself, you just get the love of the community and stuff. And that's, that is worth more than money. Exactly. And, um, yeah, to, to end on this point too, um, at some point whales have to sell. And so without having a, I guess you'd say an even distribution of owners to the assets owned, it's yeah. never going to go up in price. Um, that's why I always find it weird when people, um, call out, um, prominent collectors who sold, you know, a thousand of the supply at a very low rate. And they're like, Oh, you missed out on a hundred million dollars return. It's like, it would have never reached yeah. that price if you would have held on to it because they would have controlled the majority of the supply and the community would have never been built. Yeah. Let me, let me put it this way. And I've told this story before, maybe you haven't heard it, but when Curio cards were rediscovered, um, I interviewed like within one day I had got it in co contact with all the artists and well, most of the artists and the founders and everything and talk to them and stuff. And one of the artists I spoke with was Robeck and Robeck, uh, as you probably know, he, he designed a few of the cards and he was also one of the really, really early supporters of Curio and NFTs in general. He had, he was a Curio whale and I literally being, this was like my four, like this is day two of me, like really in the NFT space and my wall street brain went, let me grab, you know, get some money. Let me contact Robeck and let me try and buy his entire supply. And I got in touch with one of my Wall, Wall Street friend guys, big money guy. He was like, whatever you buy it for, let's do it. You know, up to a certain price. I contacted Robeck and Robeck was like, I like you, dude, but I am not selling you these cards. <laughs> and what I learned, this was the, the start of me learning about community in the NFT space. For me, I was like, I can get them all. I can hold it. I can control the market. I can manipulate the market. I can make a ton of money. Robeck was like, I can distribute these cards. I can get them in a lot of people's hands. I can get people talking about Curio. And when that happens, Curio's value is going to go up. Robeck was right. I was wrong. What he knew intuitively, because he'd been in the space a lot longer than me, was that community and awareness um, goes with a wider distribution. And so he was smart about it. And you see what's happened to Curio over time. A lot of that rests at the feet of, of Robeck, who was very generous with distribution of cards. And, uh, and you just see, like, it's at, it's at Christie's. It's, it's around. Everybody in the NFT space knows about Curio. 
And one of the reasons of that is because he didn't sell those cards to McBride on that day. He was smart about it. He distributed, distributed them in a way that was fair to the community and, and people love him for it. It's an absolutely beautiful story to end on. So before we get out of here, uh, two things. First, where to follow you, where to buy your new book, and then also since this this archaeological movement or NFT histor- historians, you could say, um, is such a new thing. Are there any other people in the space that you would advise to follow to learn more about as well? Absolutely. So you can find me at uh, Adam A. McBride on Twitter. Um, if you look on my, my Twitter profile, you can find the book there. You just click the link. Uh, I love... Leonidas on Twitter, uh, White Rabbit on Twitter. They're just there are a lot of great, uh, you know, archaeologists in the space who do amazing work. I mean, Leonidas did one the other day, hundred uh, tweet thread about the history of Saratobi and Spells of Genesis, like ridiculously awesome stuff. Um, so you can find him there. Actually, if you just jump on on Twitter and you click my Discord link, come in that Discord. I have you know, all these guys are in my discord and stuff. You can follow them there too, as well and find them there. It's a, it's a good place to start. Yeah. Hop in the discord guys, Adam, thank you for sharing time with, with, uh, with us, um, helping us learn more. Um, I'm definitely going to try to be more active in the discord, but I'll definitely be around, um, and ride this run and, um, shed the light on all of this, uh, magnificent historical value, just sitting there out in the open. Thanks man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next time.